So I'd like to uh, take a number of minutes uh, this evening to talk about the practice again. Actually, uh, we uh, we had uh, uh, meetings uh, today with uh, some of you Q Q and A's, and um, so I thought actually that I could report a little bit on uh, what uh, uh, the questions and answers that uh, came uh, in the group I was in, because I thought it was um, seemed like it would be relevant for uh, for everyone to hear. A few words on, on this. Do you think it could be a good idea? Okay. So, um, so there was uh, questions. It seems like there was a bunch of questions around uh, working with uh, emotions. Is that of interest to you? <laughs> okay. So how to be with um, difficult emotions, afflictive emotions, how, how, what should I do with sadness when it arises? Should I investigate it, um, follow it? What does that mean to follow an emotion um, in, in this practice? What would it be like? What should I do with sadness, judgment, judgment of judgment? Judgment of judgment of judgment. <laughs> uh, what? How could I apply this practice of working with emotions in uh, in daily life, in traffic, in uh, yeah, in society, in my society, in my in my life at many levels? You know, interpersonal, uh, like my inner life, interpersonal, community. Uh, society, you know, how to work with the emotions that come up. Wow, I think that's a good topic, no? So a few ideas that I um, shared was, um, now I have to remember that part. So I think I was saying that um, there's a very particular way we work with emotions here. Uh, you know, in different settings, there's so many ways to work with emotions. Uh, you know, you could do it uh, with somebody and uh, go with associations of mine. You know, what does that make me think of in the past? And kind of like follow the road of uh, memory and association and analyze the m potential meaning or causes. And so what we do here is, is different. I think they maybe work, can work well together, but uh, here there's a precise way to work with it. It's actually extremely simple, uh, which is to uh, just allow it to be known, if it's possible, to allow the emotions to, emotion to be known. So let's say there is a sadness sadness. It's not so much why am I sad as much as how does sadness feel like? How does it feel like? Like I have uh, the angle that I take personally is like, oh, I have this unique chance of uh, being able to meet kind of one-on-one -on -one with sadness. You know, so uh, in life, sometimes I don't have time to feel it because I have to be efficient or I have to put a social mask or something, you know. But here, actually, it's open. There's a lot of time. People cook for us. I'm just sitting and walking. So if there is sadness, I could actually allow it to be felt directly. So what does it, how, how does it, how do I know I'm sad? There are, um, they are symptoms, we could say. I don't know if it's a little too clinical, but you know, the, is it a heaviness or a hollowness? How does it feel? Is it in the face or in the throat or in the belly or in the chest? 
Is it, can it be felt? Or is that a mood in the mind? You know, it's not a joyful mood or a playful mood. These have, have their particular textures. So sadness, for example, or irritation or boredom, or shame, or joy, or quietness, or sweet quietness. They have particular... Um, What's the word in English? Ambiance, no? Oh, that sounds like a French word. Ambiance. There's a certain tone. You could almost say flavor, no? Like a, a taste. The taste of sadness. And then I would just allow it to be known. And sometimes when we actually turn towards or allow um, these things to be known, these, uh, these waves of mind or... Actually, sometimes when we pay attention to them, we get curious about them. Instead of fearing them, avoiding them, wanting to bypass them, get rid of them, or, you know, or instead of getting lost in them, being awake in them. Hmm. Just found myself in that realm of sadness. Uh, sometimes when we pay attention, it vanishes. Or sometimes it uh, amplifies. In any case, the chances of me finding some fluctuations are pretty high. That if I feel the sadness, maybe, as I was saying in the group, maybe I'll see it turn into some sweet sadness that might even turn into gratitude. But maybe the sadness will turn into loss and grief and deep grief and anger, who knows, you know? And so here, I make myself available in the sitting, in the walking, in the chilling out, if that's what I'm doing in the pauses, you know? Just, oh, what's the mood? So I'm not calling for emotions and I'm not organizing them. No, I don't have to feel that. That's gone now. <laughs> I'm not coaching myself in this way. I'm just discovering that particular field. So this is one image that I've used in the past for myself was... Uh, this emotion made me think of uh, the national parks here in uh, America. You have beautiful national parks. I've seen a few of them there. They're very different from one another. Um, Yosemite, very different from Death Valley, from Joshua Tree, from the Everglades, or you know. So different uh, fauna, flora, geography, weather, ambiance. And so here we sit and walk and we're actually entering different national parks. You know, the national park of boredom. <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> Anywhere. Ever. <laughs> you know? The national park of uh, sudden fear paralyzing fear, undertone fear, you know. The national park of playfulness, giddiness, grumpiness. So many, so I'm mixing in there, you know, uh, emotions or moods, mental states, states of mind, whatever you, went, you would want to call it. Even we can bring it, we could bring it, uh, bring in qualities of mind. So when we're sitting here, we can be interested in uh, the experience of the body. What is it like to be sitting? So the, the, the fields of interest of mindfulness, body. The, the Buddha was saying, when sitting, know you're sitting. Something, some, I'm paraphrasing here, but something like that. When laying down, know you're laying down. So primary, no? It's very rare that we're sitting and we're aware, we sustain awareness of sitting. We might like, I'm sitting, okay, I'm done. You know? I'm sitting to eat or to talk or to do something, but to actually know you're sitting while you're sitting is extremely primary or to be aware of breath. So these are the instruction, uh, instructions of the Buddha, suggestions of what we can be attentive to. 
Many of us, we, our attention always go to the same place. We don't know yet. We're discovering this maybe here. Our attention tends to go to uh, past, or future, or planning. And it, you know, there's always attention and it always finds its way back to, <laughs> to that. For many of us, the center of our attention, of fascination, is moi. Huh? Me in the past. Me in the future next week, or the far future when I'm going to finish alone. Or me that could have been, that won't be, you know, but could have been, you know. <laughs> Do you recognize something like this? Like, as it, if it was the absolute unit of measure of everything, me, what I think of that, what I would have preferred. And if you tend to be codependent, then you're just switching me for this other person. What do they think? What do they like? How would they, <laughs> you know? So we can put our attention into this. And the Buddha said, well, there's other things that are worthy of attention. You could put attention, become aware of sitting, become aware of walking. You're like, why? Like, please give me some juice, something juicy. Not like I'm sitting. I've been sitting for decades, you know. I know, you know. Like, no, actually, pay attention to that. You, a world could open up for you. Sitting, breathing, movement. When she turns her head, she knows she turns her head. When he reaches with his arm, he knows he's reaching with his arms. Do we do, we do that? No, we're like, who's walking over there? Why are they walking there? Well, they weren't walking there earlier. We, we don't we don't know that there's this going on, you know, and so here we become aware of this, like oh, the head is turning, you know, how oh, the hand is reaching, or holding the ramp going up the stairs. So awareness of the body is one is one thing: the breath, the posture, the activities of the body, the sensations in the body. So that's where we're invited to put our attention uh, here, what we're invited to discover, but also mind states, emotions, moods, tones in the mind and qualities of mind. So as I sit here, I can feel the hands touching, the body breathing, the belly rising and falling. I'm invited to give value to that but also to the quality of the awareness that is there. What, what, it is, what is it, not only sadness, but what is it to be attentive? What is presence, absence of mind? What is that? It's very much apparently worthy of attention. So as I'm sitting here, I can discover that awareness or mindfulness what it is to pay attention, not just the sounds or the soundscape, or not just the tingling of the hand, but the actual meeting, knowing. Do you see what I'm talking about? What is like to know stuff? What is like to, like there's something called consciousness that seems to reveal stuff, no? Like they say, you know, if there's a tree that falls in the forest and there's no consciousness around, there won't be a sound, you know, heard. But here we are, and because there is intelligence, sensitivity, suddenly toes are tingling, it's known, it's experienced. So what is that awareness? So, so the inner life we're invited to become aware of, not think about, but experience directly. So it could be many things. Huh? It could be an emotion, anxiety, uncertainty, confusion. Yeah. Or it could be uh, attention. Um, I was just teaching for two weeks in French, so I'm, uh, I'm, I'm working here. So what is an attention that is um, established? You know, an attention that just stays. Maybe for a few minutes you're sitting here walking and the attention is 
kind of calmed and gathered around the walking or around the hearing. Do you see what I mean? As opposed to an attention that is uh, a little bit like a butterfly that doesn't really land anywhere, you know, agitated maybe, could be a word here. So here we're invited to actually become awake to that, awake to that. And sometimes the, uh, the attention, a presence is impatient, frustrated. And sometimes the attention is uh, tender or kind in some ways. You know, you see somebody do something in the dining hall or somewhere and somehow you're touched. You know, like, oh, look at that. You know, the way they do this or do that. And so you, we're invited to become aware of the textures of the of the mind, of the national parks that are visited. What I like about the image of the national park is that uh, to me it speaks about uh, the fact that it's uh, what we're talking about is of the public domain. Uh, it's not, it could be my sadness and my this or my that, but in the the wise view here, one of the wise way to understand what's happening is that we're encountering human nature. So that yes, it could be presented as a personal event, my agitation or my calm, but also it could be presented or understood differently. Calm, calm, agitation, not so much mine, but the human experience. So today with the person who was asking the question about uh, sadness and how to be meet sadness, I said, and I'm going to say it here because to me that's, it's actually a, a, a beautiful, unexpected thing for me. It actually even touches me to know that I'm going to say that. I didn't expect to find that understanding but when I become intimate with the movements of this heart, you know, whatever it is again, the shame or arrogance or the tenderness, benevolence, goodwill, ill will, you know, when I see these movements and I'm uh, really attentive and I allow them to be known for what they are, just their particular mood or texture, often there's, suddenly there's a kind of understanding that, oh, you're a human, you're welcome back to humanity. Sadness is a human experience. Wow. Just if you were not sure you belong to humanity or not, the door just opened. Pascal, you're a human being. They feel confusion. You're totally one of them. Human beings, they feel calm. They feel uncertainty. There's no mistake. It's totally part of the experience of the human nature. Nature, national parks. Nature. And so here we're discovering human nature and we're welcomed back in wanting to be somebody else somewhere else to not exist <gasps> so human being touched being closed being numb being dissociated being hypersensitive being busy with the past or the future absolutely human. Pain in the lower back, so human. Pain in the knee, in the neck, <laughs> so human. I think that's maybe 
one way to talk about compassion, about care. It's good because we live, I don't know if it's your experience, but with this impression that we're separate in some ways, that I'm alone, this little consciousness in this vast, 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 vast universe. And I'm there, ah, knowing, isolated, you know. And then the more I practice, the more I find, no, it just appeared like this. This is not, this. everything in here belongs to nature. It's natural. It's not mine that I have to, it, it's natural. It's made by nature, it's part of nature. It's the nature of, you know, human nature. I don't know how to call it. I don't have the words exactly. I don't know if you're following me <laughs> or if I'm alone in my little world here. So if you find that you were lost in an emotion, like, oh my God, I can't believe they said that, I said that, and then they said that, and if we say that again, what am I going to say? And you wake up. Suddenly, you know, you're, oh, you're, suddenly you become sane again, because huh? you were insane. That's what we call deluded. We, we thought we were in that world, you know, suddenly we're like, oh, I'm in the meditation hall. <laughs> you know, when you wake up like this, like, oh, okay. Like I, I was uh, occupied under occupation, you know, like visited. And I was fooled. I really, I was reborn in that reality. No, don't say that to me. You know. <laughs> and suddenly I gained sanity again. You know. Oh, I'm here. This moment is very, very powerful. So be careful because I think, <clears throat> at least I thought that for a long time in my practice, that when I woke up like this about being lost and next week I'll call this one and then I'll call this one and I have to make sure I put this in the mail and you know 10 minutes later or 5 minutes later or 20 minutes later you know when I wake up I had the feeling that I should suddenly become kind of neutral just body breathing like do you see what I mean? like uh, should be a blank slate and okay shouldn't think shouldn't feel you know, should just be with the breath, you know. I think I had that misunderstanding for a long time. And now it's very clear that when I wake up from being lost, there might be reverberation from the kind of fictional world I was living in, you know. There might be pressure on the chest. There might be a little confusion. for Like, I, I actually want to be awake to that. I don't want to become some kind of neutral meditator, you know. When I wake up, I wonder, oh, this, just this, exactly, what is that? And this might be just an in-breath, freshness of air coming in. But it might be uh, turbulence, you know, like, uh, I don't know how to say, like, uh, you know, some, some kind of contraction in the chest or the belly or then this is what I want to accompany, which is another word for me for meditation, is accompanying what is happening. Like coming close to caring, holding. There's a thought I didn't complete, I think. Today I was talking about, um, you know, if you came and had a a decision to make. Did I? I think I mentioned that. You know, to actually put this aside. So, so again, it's not like the blank slate thing. If I have a decision to make, I could be obsessed like this, but then I'll invite the attention to 
come in the chest and come in the belly and be there and feel what's felt there. The unresolved, for example, is a particular tone, no? When something is unresolved and you want it to be resolved, but you're on a retreat, you're not going to resolve things at home, you know, like actually. So, oh, something being unresolved. Can that be okay? Can that be felt? You know, oh, that didn't turn out as I wanted. Instead of trying to fix and organize and explain or rehash the past in order almost as if it would change by retelling the story. You know, one teacher says, losing hope of a better past. Losing hope of a better past. It did happen. This is what happened. My sense is with becoming more embodied instead of obsessed with the story, which we do sometimes in emotion, we like tell the story, to, and here we do, and we become aware of how is this being here. This, in, in this, what I find happen is that there's a feedback loop that gets open again, that was closed. I get to actually feel things. And um, what I found in practice, and you'll have to verify for yourself if it applies or not, but what I found is that a lot of my integrity is actually in the body. That's a surprising discovery to make. And a few months ago, I was teaching with uh, Dr. Judson Brewer. He's the director of research at uh, the Center for Mindfulness at UMass here. He's a neuropsychiatrist doctor. He knows. <laughs> And uh, he's a very f- friendly guy and n- n- knowledgeable. And, and we were teaching together and um, he was talking about the uh, MRI and CAT scan and what they deco- discover around mindfulness and the effects of mindfulness on the brain and how it plays. And, and I was saying to him, I hear these uh, things being said. I always re- forget immediately the amygdala and the neophyte frontal cortex this and like it doesn't resonate for some reason I'd love to like catch that stuff but I don't and you were saying oh but that makes sense Pascal that totally makes sense because this is empty calories this is whole grain and he said here you don't have sensitive neurons that's why they can do a surgery with open uh, open open uh, open container open (laughs) (laughs) open brain, you know, and they'll play, you know, like, how do you feel? Like, well, yeah, can you sing? Can you play violin? (laughs) Can you, (laughs) you know, and people still, and they're playing with you, because there's no sensitivity in there, so don't try to feel your neocortex being developed here, you know, it's it's not going to happen, so he was saying there's there's no, that's why we have to invent machines to actually see what's happening, because we can't feel it, but this, you can feel, this feels, and so, you know, when you say you're in, your integrity is here, you know, I'm about to say something or do something, and the shame, you know, that I've, ah, contraction of the chest, am I going to really say that, or what impact could it have, you know? It's felt, for me anyway, in my, we have different intelligence, maybe. And for me, and he was like, yeah, yeah, that makes total sense, this is where it lives, you know? And so that's why we come here and work at becoming sensitive to what's actually happening here. And so we're opening that field of sensitivity so that we can gain access again to our integrity, to our values, to our... They're going to be revealed in the silence and the listening and the attending. It's all going to become clear. So I don't have to make a decision here about do I do it or not? Like, drop, let, let me drop it here. Let me feel this. And at some point, maybe they'll be like, oh, I can't do this. You know, it's going to come from another place, not from uh, agitation. Agitation is not going to make a really good decision, you know, but embodiment, calm embodiment. And for us, it's going to be a journey to actually re-enter this because it's been judged, hated, or it's been shut down because there was, uh, you know, it's been under attack. And so we're we're disconnected. So here we're just sitting and breathing, being aware of breathing and walking a little bit. And 
you know, going away from our ideas about stuff and reintegrating life and the senses. That's how I understand a lot of the practice we do. And in exactly in that vein, in that uh, is um, wisdom. When wait, are are you? Do you still have a little energy for, for maybe another little loop here? Another little kind of little chapter or something. So, wisdom. What is this wisdom? We call wisdom. 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 So one way to talk about wisdom in Buddhist psychology is the clarification of what is beneficial and what is um, what is beneficial and what is um, uh, oh my god in French it was uh, ben- beneficial and not beneficial <laughs> I'm so happy you came <laughs> Unbeneficial. <laughs> I'll take it a step further. <laughs> um, so, uh, and uh, that language could be triggering for you, and like, oh my God, like I don't like that division. But actually, it really is there in Buddhist psychology. And so, let me try to explain it. Is um, the uh, understanding of what is beneficial and what is unbeneficial, harmful, or yeah, not beneficial for me and others. When we say beneficial in Buddhist psychology, it always means beneficial for me and others. Not beneficial for me and others. And so the clarification about this is not so much like moral value. Uh, I think it's more like from the felt sense, that's what we call vipassana, or insight, what we're practicing here. So let me give you an example of how this works is I'm sitting here and uh, I'm being a little harsh on myself. Come on, back to the breath. What are you doing? Everybody's got it. You're still like way behind. You know, and sometimes it's words like this or it might be just a mood. You know, it doesn't have to talk. It's just like... (laughs) (laughs) You know, and it's kind of like you live with it. You know it, you know. And so... Maybe in a conversation I could say, I'm hard on myself, I shouldn't be so hard on myself, but I've not been touched yet deeply. So here, the technique, in a way, is high-quality soaking. We soak in different moods, in different mind states, with different qualities of mind, and we get, because we're not busy, uh, and we're not so stimulated by a lot, there's not much happening, it's really high-quality soaking. We are with the moods. And they start to reverberate. The more we get sensitive with the calming down, the paying attention, the opening the senses, in the walking, the sitting, in walking around, in being there as we eat or drink tea, paying attention, showing up, showing up, the mind states, they start to be kind of highlighted. And so we can be really deeply touched. Even I think the... A, a word that the Buddha seems to u- seem to use is shaken by our different mind states, and so at some point the the, the conditions in the mind are so we're so sensitive and so attentive that when there's a judgment that comes in, we're like shocked by the violence of it. Before we didn't, we kind of knew, but it was superficial knowing, kind of information kind of reflection, but we hadn't had meditation. Like we hadn't felt the impact. And so we're deeply shocked. So it's not easy doing what we do. In the same way, so it's made clear for us that it's unbeneficial to abuse oneself or others. It's, it becomes really clear, felt. Do you recognize a little bit of this? That's what's happening here for us today. And so we're like, oh my God, you know. And we're, uh, it's going to be so felt that we're going to shy away from some of the things or not buy into it, into them, not follow them, believe what they say. So like, oh, you, you know, you... Or compassion will arise when this will come in. Instead of more of this the same, they will be like, oh, oh 
honey, so hard to speak like this, or hold things in this way. So we clarify how resisting is so painful, you know. And in the other way, in the beneficial aspect, it's also clarified for us. We don't think in this way. It's not on the thinking process. It's in the felt way. Do you understand what I, I mean by that? It's not like, oh, it's beneficial. Oh, this is unbeneficial. It's not like that. It's like, oh, God. And in the same way, when suddenly there is benevolence in the mind, care, some kind of honesty, it resonates in a certain way. It's like, oh. And it might be inside ourselves, or because we're becoming sensitive, we'll be sensitive to it outside also. So if somebody at some point just like, uh, I don't know, let you go first in the doorway, something like this, or helps you when you're about to drop something, you know, and it's going to reverberate maybe at some point while you're here. And you're like, wow. And suddenly we're going to feel, oh, this is wholesome. This is beneficial. This is a good way to live. But not with thoughts. It's going to be felt. We're going to be touched by that. And so it's going to be uh, working more in terms of impressions, we could say. We're going to be impressed. Yeah? And so that's what we're doing here. We're becoming more and more sensitive so that we can feel the different ways we live and how uh, it's helpful or not for us. That's been my path and that's what I've seen happen in people. So a couple of examples. At a retreat a number of months ago in the winter or spring, so after a, uh, maybe a, on the second day of a retreat, something like this, there's a woman who uh, was describing. She said, "Oh, so we are. I arrived here, like she was discovering the practice. I arrived here. It was not here. It was another place. And she said, I, I said the parking was gray. And there was a gray building, which turned, it was actually a a manor somewhere in Europe. It was really beautiful, but it's true, it was gray. But it was also a manor. Is that the word? Like, like, but she said, the building was gray. There was gray gravel around the building. And then we went in, and then we had to know we were sitting, and know we were working. It was kind of gray, 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 gray. Everything was gray. And I kept doing it, you know, gray walking and gray gravel around gray building, you know, watching gray stepping, you know. Do you recognize something in that? Anyway, and she said at some point, but I kept doing it, I kept doing it. At some point I stopped about to turn around and I saw in the gravel like the tip of a bottle of champagne. And she said, it was very touching to hear her story. She said, suddenly... I just recognized that actually some people came here to celebrate stuff. They would, like we rented this for a a retreat, a silent retreat, but some people would come here to celebrate big moments of life, you know, things. And she said, I just got touched and suddenly I looked at the gray of the gravel in the building and I saw there was many kinds of grays. There was dark grays, there was mouse gray, I think she said. There was... uh, pinkish gray and greenish gray and she said suddenly there was and she said it's really strange since that time I've been tears have been falling and it's the same practice it's the same building but I I don't see it in the same way it's actually touching it's it's actually beautiful and I thought wow this how amazing is that like she was living in a mind state that she didn't know about I don't know if it was bored or disconnected or dismissive or not uh, engaged. You know, there was something in the history that made sense. You know, that's where she... And she came to retreat and she paid attention, paid attention. And then suddenly something happened. And I I said, wow, my feeling is that when you go home, things are going to be a little different, you know, in the way you see people. People will stand out a little bit more in their uniqueness, aliveness. They won't be like gray people, you know, they'll be, they'll have little taints, you know. So she had to soak 
in it for a while before she could actually uh, discover like what park she was really stuck in. So that's just one example. This is another person who was describing a few weeks ago, like that the first day she was impatient, like kind of a little arrogant, like I come here for the good stuff, you know, so come on, let's move on. Give me the good stuff, you know. And so I was like this, you know, and like, come on, come on, you know, like, you know, I paid and my time is precious. Give me the real shit, you know. And she said she was like this in the woods, you know, and like, and said suddenly, like, it just hit her, like, oh, what's that? I've never, I've never actually become aware of this. I've been fooled by it. I've been driven by. I've been under the spell of. But that fine line in between of not like uh, being lost in or judging, but that fine line that we call mindfulness of becoming aware of. And she said, suddenly I saw the violence in that mind state. And I actually saw that actually it was not you or the teaching that was not going fast enough. It was in here. And I was actually bringing this to my family. The people I love the most, this was my contribution, at least some of the time. And I was not actually choosing my contribution. I was, this is what was offered, I didn't even know. A kind of arrogant impatience. And she, when she described this, she said, wow. To me it was like, wow, okay, responsibility, there we are. It's not like guilt, or it's not irresponsibility, it's this fine line in the middle called being conscious of what's happening. What is my contribution to my life right now and to the life around me? Let me be aware of what it is so that I can maybe choose something else if it's not the best version. Do you see what I mean? It's not easy work. It's really not easy work. So we're clarifying this. Last story to finish. Joseph, one of the founders here, uh, he lives just here. He uh, he came to Montreal a few months ago to uh, help uh, uh, the organization I belong to. That is an organization like here, but over in Montreal. And he gave a day long. And it was so beautiful the way I understood he was talking about practice. And I checked with him and he said that was correct. I'll give you just an example to see like the power of mindfulness. So there's uh, one uh, man was saying, um, okay, so I've been practicing with you, you know, all day today, like all the values you put in place of caring, paying attention, being responsible, uh, being interested in reality instead of dismissive or instead of wanting another one actually turning towards. So all these beautiful qualities in my work environment, not there. In my work environment, the values are advancement. Is that a word? Competition, uh, uh, accumulation, uh, pretty much at all, any cost, you know, like... And so, when I consider the, the environment I work in and the environment that I find here, the values that I are invited here, it makes me sad. It makes me sad and there is sorrow, sorrow. And, and Joseph said, oh, all done here. Wow, that's interesting. Because he said, to me, sadness and sorrow have different coloration, they have different tones. And again, we have to define for, I don't know English enough to, to know, but I know what he meant because he explained it. He said, to me, sometimes I see some things, like I have clear seeing, I see, oh, these are not the right values. People give value to things that don't have value, that are detrimental to them. They give value to getting stuff at all costs when this actually is detrimental to them and others. So of course there would be sadness there. 
But sorrow has a different feel to me. It's sorrow is um, has a weight to it. Anyway, I translated it in words that I knew in French that described this, and there was like a kind of a recognition that as it's felt, it's like wow, people do that to themselves. There's a clarity there, and it's not fun, you know. It's clarity, and there can be stability. And wow, this is what's happening here. People do this to each other. And there's another way where you can actually kind of drawn, or it can be heavy. Do you see the difference? And he said, for, I would be really attentive to that, because one seems to be wholesome, and the other one detrimental. Because you're going to lose energy. It's like, oh, it's like this, it shouldn't be like this, I want it to be otherwise. It's going to drain a lot of your energy. It's going to be heavy to carry. If there is clear thing, and maybe some equanimity, you know, this is how it is. Wow. Then you can actually maybe have uh, not lose so much energy, leak energy. Do you follow me here? And you can actually be with something, you know. I don't know. I think of uh, you know coming to America here. Not that it doesn't exist in Canada, but here somehow it's so like the way black people are treated in this country. I mean, it's it's horrible. I don't know if I'm allowed to say that, but I will. And it's been an urgent thing for a few centuries now. To actually consider this, to turn toward this and say like, wow, what is this system of privilege that even denies its existence? Like to actually turn towards this, it takes a lot of stability of mind a lot of honesty, a lot of care to look at how are we living together. It takes a lot, and it could actually, you could turn towards this and collapse, or aggress, no, it's not true, or get reactive. It could leak in all kinds of ways and lose sleep and be aggravated, and you know? But to actually do this work of turning honestly, looking at things and how do we participate, how do we keep this going? takes a lot of courage and it's the same thing we're looking at but it can be done in a way that is wholesome onward leading liberating and it can be done in a way that is uh, shutting down you know all the ways we know denial confusion guilt you know all this so what we're doing here for me is we're attending to the life of this psyche but we're attending to the relationship we're going to have later inside the family system, work environment, and the big society, so that we can actually alleviate suffering where it's found, in the heart or in the group, and offer protection and freedom, and so that uh, there can be healing, beauty, care and freedom for everyone instead of fear and all kinds of ways it manifests. Okay, so let's just take a moment and let that, uh, and see if you can hold that. Maybe, uh, Maybe something is triggering in you. And so, and you might be exposed in life when you go back to things that are triggering for you to hear, that you don't agree with or cause confusion in your mind. So, I invite you to feel uh, the sitting, feel that you're held by the earth. This is basically uh, earth sitting on earth, what's happening here. This is nature. So there are sensation in the 
lower parts of the body, touch points, tingling, hardness maybe. And there are sensations in the hands, maybe. And a body, breathing, belly, chest, Alive, expanding and contracting naturally. And there's a head with a face, and maybe heat in there, or whatever else is there, lightness or heaviness, tensions. So there's a body sitting here, hearing, touching. And there is a mood in there. It might be quiet or sad or confused or angry or... There's a mood. It could be neutral, nothing outstanding. Could be tired or grateful. There is some quality there, attention itself, maybe. Maybe it can be known, experienced just as it is. That mood, that body. And let's uh, stay tuned to notice the transformations in the body as it will stand up and move and the transformation in the heart or psyche or mind as it will, I don't know what it will do, you know. And so there'll be uh, 20 minutes and then we'll be sitting here again for the last uh, part of the evening. So if the person ringing the bell could uh, Yeah, ring at 8.30, so we'll all be uh, coming here at uh, 20 to 9, and we'll sit for, uh, yeah, no more than 20 minutes and call it night, okay? Thank you for your consideration and for uh, allowing me to uh, say a few things. I hope there was something helpful in there. Okay, thank you. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.